Christmas. Yes, it is true. We are now in the quote-unquote holiday season. Um, Unless you've been to a department store since the month of August, they've been in the holiday season since the 4th of July. But for us, November 10th starts here and now, people. And there's so much involved in the holiday season. There's so many thoughts and concepts that come to mind that are uh, just kind of at the forefront of our thoughts. And one idea that I think really bubbles up this time of year more than ever, and the one that we're going to talk about, as Jenny said, is this idea of home. We all have so many thoughts and feelings unique to ourselves that are associated with the idea of coming home or feeling at home, but it is something that is within each and every one of us. You know, we have songs that says, home for the holidays, I'll be home for Christmas. Many of us are going to be traveling out of town or receiving friends or relatives from out of town over the next two months as we celebrate holidays together. People are traveling to and creating their idea of what home is. And it might be different from one person to another. For you, you could be excited to be at home for the holidays because, you know, someone's going to bake your favorite meal or you get to sleep on the couch till 11 a.m. and just veg out over a a whole holiday week in Thanksgiving. You know, some of us, it's just comfortable being in this weather. It's comfortable just feeling casual with the familiar or the things that I've always known and felt comfortable like I belong here with the people that I belong with. Home is such a, a loaded thing for each and every one of us. There's so many aspects to our idea of home. But I think for many of us, When the concept of home comes to mind, it it, it can tend to be sweet, yes, but also blended with some bitter. Because maybe something is keeping us from truly feeling at home this season or this year. Maybe something happened over the year of 2019 that has kind of affected your idea of home or what home used to be for you. You know, maybe we've had difficult times at work, and so we can't really travel to be with our loved ones this time around. Maybe there's been a falling out between you and someone else, and so the community that you would feel at home with is not what it used to be, and there's some disconnect there. Maybe you're just completely in a different location. Maybe you're not with your old community, either among family and friends or even in a church community that you are familiar or comfortable with. And maybe for some of us, we have experienced a loss. We've lost a loved one. And so getting together as family in this context of home can feel very bittersweet because something and someone is missing from the picture now. Home brings so many of these thoughts and so many of these feelings to the forefront of our minds. And whatever it is for each and every one of us, it can cause us to lose our sense of home. It can bring us to this kind of internal homesickness that we feel, where we are longing for that wholeness that it used to bring to us, that completion and that sense of belonging. And it's something that we can't shake, and it really is something that over the months of November and December, when it's so much at the forefront of our mind and our culture, that we can really feel that homesickness and that emptiness like never before. And so that's what this series is going to be about is what does God have to say about the homesickness inside of our hearts? And how can we, as the people of God, return home? How can we come home according to God's word? So to explore this, we're going to turn to the Old Testament, to a book called Ezra. So would you turn there with me? Ezra, we'll start at the start, chapter 1. If you have never read the word Ezra before, that's, that's how it's spelt. And it's in this order in the Old Testament. I would not blame you if it has been a minute since you've, since you've seen this. It's kind of an obscure book, 
back with all the, the genealogies and just talking about who's descendant of whom and stuff. And so it's kind of an obscure book and it's often overlooked, but in it we are going to see a great deal of what God has to say about coming home. And so before we read it, there's kind of a lot of history and context to unpack out of the book of Ezra. So let's touch on that really quickly. So the book of Ezra was written by a man named Ezra. He was a scribe of the people of Israel. That meant that he was responsible for chronicling the history of God's people in his time. And, and the, the stuff that he writes down, the book of Ezra is actually one of the, the last books to be written for the Old Testament. It covers about the years 400 BC, so it's about 400 or so years before Jesus enters the scene, and these are some of the final stories that the Old Testament has to tell. And so as we enter into the story, we're actually kind of showing up at a very rough point in Israel's history, because at the time of Ezra, God's people were currently in exile. You see, after generations of living in the land that God had promised to them, and after many years of disobedience to God, of God's people rejecting him and abandoning his ways, they were finally overtaken and overthrown by an enemy nation and forcibly removed from their homeland. We have a map I want to show you really fast. Over here where it says Judea, right where the star is, that's where God's people were dwelling. That was where the people of God made their living place in Israel and Judah. That was their promised land. And then if you look northeast of there, you see the word Assyria. That was where they were forcibly taken first. That was the time of their first exile. And then after that, after they were taken from their homeland into Assyria, the Assyrians were overthrown by the Babylonians. And so they got moved to Babylon. And then after that, after Babylon was overtaken, almost falling off the stage here, they were moved to Persia, even further off. So they are progressively being pulled further and further away from their homeland, from what was familiar and promised to them, everything that they knew, to a nation that was strange, to speak languages they did not know, around a people who were persecuting them and worshiping gods that they did not know. So God's people dwelt for generations in this state of displacement, under persecution, walking with this constant heartache. So Israel is very familiar with this idea of homesickness at this point, existing in a space and a time where they did not belong. And on top of that, they were living with a deep humiliation because these were the people of God living in a land that had been promised to them and given to them by the one true God. And now, because of their own disobedience, it's lost. It was taken back. And so for them, it feels as though their home had been revoked, forcibly removed, not just by people, but taken back from them by God that his promise had been revoked and was now lost to them forever. And for decades, this is where God's people were, passed from empire to empire to empire until we find them here under the rule of the Persian Empire under a man named King Cyrus. We actually have a, a picture of him. This is exactly what King Cyrus looked like, according to King Cyrus probably. Now this is actually a picture taken from a, a relief, which is a carving out of a stone so this is kind of how the Persians depicted him. He was a very real person. He was the first king of the Persian Empire. Um, and so we're going to hear what he has to say because it's at this last change in leadership, this change in ownership, really, that God begins to shake the landscape of Israel's life and meet them in their homesickness. And that's what we're going to glean from today. So would you read with me 
Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We'll start right there. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and I would highlight this right here, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Go ahead and highlight that as well. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Well, this is kind of a radical proclamation. In the first year of his rule, one of the very first things King Cyrus decrees is that God's people, after generations, are finally allowed to go home. God says, go home and rebuild the temple. In spite of all their disobedience, in spite of all the displacement, without them having to overthrow their authorities or the rulers, they are freely allowed to return back to their homeland and rebuild it. And I think, I think this is something that's very important to know is this isn't just Israel catching Cyrus on a good day, you know? This isn't him just like throwing them a bone. We do your favor real fast. No, we highlighted this was to fulfill a promise. This was to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now, who's Jeremiah? He's a prophet. He was a prophet who lived decades before Ezra did, and he had something to say to God's people regarding their exile, regarding this point in their lives. So it's going to be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. We're going to read very briefly what the prophet Jeremiah had to say. In 29, chapter 29 of the book of Jeremiah, verses 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, this place being Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So decades before Ezra's time, it was foretold down to the year and the city That once Israel's time under Babylonian captivity was done, after 70 years had passed, God would restore them back to their home. And so what happens? The first year after Babylon is overthrown, the first year the Persians take over, God's promise is fulfilled through King Cyrus. As we highlighted there, God moved in the heart of Cyrus to to compel him to allow his people to return home. He acknowledges the God of Israel, the Lord, the God in heaven, and then says, you're free. You're free to return back and rebuild your temple. And and the temple is an important thing that we need to kind of key in as well, because losing the temple is not kind of like if we lost a church building here in 2019. See, the temple was something that was commissioned by God, and it was instructed to be his dwelling place amongst Israel. It was the centerpiece of their society, and it was where the very literal presence of God would dwell among Israel. So losing that was like losing the most important part of their home. And in fact, it felt like losing God himself. And so being allowed to go home and to restore this is saying, hey, everything that was lost to you, 
your homeland and the presence of your God, go home and reclaim it. Take it back. And so it's in this first piece of Ezra that I want us to kind of glean our first big lesson is that God does not forget his promises. God does not forget his promises. Because maybe you and I can feel like Israel from time to time. I feel like I'm just not where I should be. I feel displaced. I don't belong here. I've been waiting for years and years to kind of get settled and get comfortable again, but it just feels incomplete. I don't feel whole and I don't feel at home. And maybe you feel like just somewhere along the way, it starts to feel like, you know what, is God even here anymore? Like, it's not at the forefront. Things aren't fixed. What's God up to? Well, God is saying here, I have not cast you off. I have not forgotten you. And more importantly, I've not forgotten my promises. I've not forgotten my goodness. And you are not lost from me. It's a reminder and a reassurance that we have not been left behind and our God has not changed anywhere along the way. And he has made promises that he is good and faithful to fulfill to you and to me. Promise that he will not leave us or forsake us. Promise that he will be with us even to the end of the age and that Jesus himself has gone ahead to prepare a place for us in eternity so that we can dwell in God's presence forever. And in the meantime, he is with us through every valley and every struggle. You know, Israel had to wait for years in exile, longing to be made whole, longing to be brought home again. And that waiting can often give way to a doubt that God will ever really pull through. But here in Ezra, we see evidence that God has not forgotten his love for his people, not for Israel and not for you and me. He is working to deliver us to a home that he has planned and he has prepared for us, even in the midst of our troubles. And we might not know what's going on or how long I'm going to be under these kind of heavy burden circumstances. And we might not see the whole picture of what God is up to, but that's because we only see in part that the things that God sees in full. And we can count on him to not forget his plans And we can trust that he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly how he will bring this picture to completion because his plans are for our good. Ours is not to know everything. That's not our job. The task on us is to trust God with everything, knowing that he has been faithful up to this point and he will continue to be forevermore. So let's move back to Ezra. Because the story is about to go from good to, be- to better as God moves in the heart of King Cyrus even further. Let's pick back up in verse 4. Cyrus has just pre- declared that the people of God are allowed to uh, go back home and rebuild their homes. Verse 4, Cyrus continues on. He says, And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the survivors are the people of Israel, the people, those are his people, are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors, highlight that, all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. So, not only does Cyrus decree that the people of God can return home 
and fulfillment of God's promise. But now he commands his own people to supply Israel's needs in order to rebuild the temple and make their offerings to God. You see, for decades now, they've been pulled away from the presence of God as well as from their means of worshiping Him. They'd lost their home, they'd lost the house of God, and their histories had been plundered by generations past. But now, against all expectation, unlike the way that any other ruler had treated them, this so-called enemy nation is not just sending them home, but they're also fronting the bill. They're also supplying and providing everything that they need in order to make this journey home and to rebuild the temple of God. And that brings us to the second lesson for us to take from this, and it's this, that God's provision does not look how we expect. It does not look how we expect. (coughs) You see, Israel has prayed for deliverance for years upon years up to this point. But oftentimes, their version of deliverance, they expected it to come out in conquest and victory. There was a world that was trying to battle and defeat them, and they thought the only way that they were going to make it out is that they were able to win some battles and defeat these other nations. But God sought fit to compel the hearts of these other nations, and the people who once were their captors are now being called their neighbors. To treat Israel like their neighbors and allow them to go home and provide for their needs along the way. And this is a remarkable and often humbling lesson for each and every one of us too. Because if we're honest, I would say that we have a pretty narrow scope of how we think God can work. Of the things that we think God is able to or ought to do and use in order to restore us and make us whole and bring us to a sense of home. Our, in our heads, we feel like home has to contain these details and have all these animities added to it, and it has to be this group of people, and they all have to see things my way, and this problem has to be solved. And so God, if you can just work within my parameters, then we'll be good. But here's the challenge for each and every one of us, is what if our prayer life stopped looking like a grocery list and more like a blank slate saying, God, do as you will because your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and maybe you know something that I don't know right now. So I give myself to you with every broken and unexpected and unintended thing for you to use to your glory because how much greater is God that he is able to use the hurtful things in this life and transform them into tools of his provision? tools of his love and care for his people in order to restore home in the ways that we would never imagine. You know, just uh, last week, I was privileged enough to celebrate uh, one year of marriage. Um, And it is a wonderful thing. But let me tell you now, one year in, as the certifiable expert on life and marriage, I don't have a card, but you can trust me on that. Um... Very, very little has happened the way that I expected it to. And you can ask my wife, she would agree, and I'm sure this is not a new story exclusive to us. But I'm sure we all have a list of expectations in our life, whether it be in our jobs, in our marriage, in our families and communities, that very little of what we intended to happen really went the way we thought it would, or the way that we thought it should. There have been some bumps in the road. I know for myself, I didn't expect to be under the living conditions that I'm in right now, it's not what I, what I set out 
to do as we got married or as I've been working. I, I always held myself to this standard thinking that I need to be able to provide and make a way at this certain capacity in order to be enough. In order to feel at home, I need to be able to see these certain things come into fruition in my life. And I'll tell you, very little of it has. However, God in his infinite grace has been able to take so many things that I looked at as a problem. I looked at as this is not right. I need to fix it. And he's been able to turn problems into provision. He's been able to use people and circumstances in my life that I would say, this is me falling short and using it as a chance for him to say, don't worry about it. I'm enough even when you're not. And I am better than all of these things that you keep scrutinizing and trying to write off. See, his tactic is not to remove the uncomfortable or the undesirable, but to redeem these things in order to prove himself and how great and powerful and good and gracious he is. And you know, it might not look the way that we think it should, but it proves that he is capable of infinitely more than we could ask for and certainly more than we could imagine. Because if he's able to use captivity for Israel, if he's able to use an emperor who does not believe in the God of Israel to bring them home and to provide with their needs more than they could have ever expected someone else to do, how much more can he take the unexpected things in our life, turn them around, shift our perspective to see that he was in the midst of them all along. He is in the business of taking the broken and using it to make his people whole again. So let's turn back to Ezra. We're going to read one more passage here. So far, God has kept his long-awaited promise, and he has used the unexpected to send his people back home and to supply their return and their restoration. And now we come to this last piece of God bringing his people back home. So read with me, Ezra chapter 1. We'll pick it up back in verse 7. As after the decrees of Cyrus are made, it says this is what happened next. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. These were, this was the inventory. 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 silver pans, 30 gold bowls, 410 matching silver bowls, and 1,000 other articles. And in all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. So they're basically being sent home with the entire bed, bath, and beyond at this point. And Sheshbazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. So, what's going on here beyond them being gifted a very generous flatware set from the people of Persia to take home? The passage here says that these were articles used in the temple of God. These were items that were specifically intended and set apart as worship in Jerusalem. And again, Israel's temple had been sacked and plundered. These things were robbed from the house of God, just like they felt like the presence of God had been taken away from them, and they were sitting in temples to other gods. But here they are now, decades later, 
freely being given back to Israel to be returned to their proper place. And I'll bet Israel, years past, was pretty sure that they would never see another thing from the temple ever again. I mean, how often do we lose something under the couch cushions and give up after about 20 minutes of searching, only to have it show up at the most unexpected time? We've already written this stuff off. It's never coming back again. But what does God do? He returns things and restores things that he has preserved and set aside. So here's the further thing for us to see in this story. It's that under God's grace, nothing is beyond saving. Under God's grace, nothing is beyond saving. Because here's Israel, 70 years displaced from their home, having lost the house of God and their own means of worshiping him. And how often have we looked back at our past? Have we looked back at our home and what it used to be with a real bitter sense of nostalgia, thinking that it's, it's not the same and it can never be the same? This relationship is broken now. These people are not around anymore. I'm far from the people that, that I know and that I love. My childhood home is gone, and I'm in the unfamiliar, and I may never get this sense of home again. I think a lot of times when we pray to God, we can pray stifled prayers because we believe that no amount of the unexpected is able to redeem me in my mess, in what is missing from my life. It is too much. And here God is saying, I'm everlasting. Nothing is too much for me. You don't have that kind of a God who can only scrounge up scrappy, sloppy seconds and give you leftovers from what used to be. We have a God who's doing a new thing. A God who promises, I'm making ways in the wilderness and bringing up rivers in the desert, places that have been written off and deserted, that you couldn't produce a single thing in, I'm making a way. In things that you thought were forever lost to you, I'm restoring you. It might not look the way that it did back then, Israel went back and they returned the temple and there were some of them who were very nostalgic because it was not as glorious. It didn't look like the temple before the exile. But what mattered there is that God was restoring them. They were being healed. And you can look at the scars of your past, whether it was inflicted upon you or as a result of mistakes that you have made like Israel. And we can look at the scars as a mark of shame, but God wants to challenge us. Look at your scars as a sign that I have closed a wound. You have a mark of my healing on you now. That is what our God provides. Nothing is beyond saving and no one is beyond saving because God does not dwell in the brokenness of our past. He is restoring us to a future and a hope that is in Him and in Him alone. Scripture says in In eternity, there's only going to be one person who's wearing scars. There's only one person who's going to have wounds forever. It's Jesus. But Scripture says that because of his wounds, we are healed. Because of the brokenness that he took on, we get to be made whole. And because he left his eternal dwelling place and did everything he did for us, we get to go home and be home and know that we are cared for and we belong and we are secured here in him because of him. 
No matter what we have done or what has been done to us, the blood of Jesus and the love and power of our God covers it all, just like it did for Israel. And the things that they weren't expecting, the things that they thought God had forgotten, and the things that they thought were lost forever, God is saying, I'm bringing it back up to you. I'm restoring you back. It might not be the way that it was, but I promise that it's enough because I am here and I am enough. So next week, we're going to keep reading in the book of Ezra. We're going to continue on in this series of coming home and just dive deeper and deeper in what the word of God has to say to us here today. Well, let's look back and see what we have seen so far. We have a people who lost everything that they once called home. We have people who were far from belonging, who were far from their purpose, the familiar and the peace in knowing that God was meeting their needs and providing according to his promises. But in the thick of their homesickness, God re-arrives on the scene, proves that he's been there all along, and makes a way for them to return back to a home that he has given and that he has restored. When all these things God has done for Israel, he continues to extend an offer to us here today. Because God has promised goodness and remembered all of his good and perfect plans for you and for me and god has provided for you all along the way in ways that we were not expecting and he has used the unthinkable to meet our needs and god has preserved what you thought was lost forever that sense of home that you thought you could never return to god has preserved that and is offering it to you freely even now to show the power of his redemption. And God has not changed in all the thousands of years between then and now, and he certainly hasn't gotten back on one good thing that he has intended for you. So what's our place in this process? How can we come home when we are living in a world full of the incomplete and full of homesickness? To that, I, I really want to return back to Jeremiah that prophecy that was spoken before Ezra's time and read a little bit further to hear what he has to say on this. Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll pick it back up in verse 11. He says for this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Maybe for many of us, we feel like home is never just, it's just never going to be the same. And it's not going to be complete because it's missing what we once had. Maybe you feel like home will not receive you anymore, no matter how hard you try. The place and the people that home used to be have changed, and I'm not welcome there anymore. I don't belong there anymore. So how can I come home? God says this, and this is how we can come home, is by recognizing this truth, is that home is found in the person of God. It is found in the person of God, 
It is an unshakable home, an irrevocable home that cannot be taken away, that cannot be plundered or lost from us, and is given freely in spite of ourselves. It isn't found in some ideal location with all the friends and family that we once knew, with all the conditions and the temperatures and the animities and the meals right there on the table for us, the way we remember it. Home is found in the person of our God and in the relationship that we have with the one who has made a way for us all along the way. And we may ask, what kind of home am I going to find in this God? What kind of home can God possibly provide that could cover the one that I've lost or the feeling of home that is now missing from me? Look at his word. It is a home that cannot be looted and plundered. It cannot be conquered by any rival or enemy to his kingship. His presence isn't one that can be lost with a building and bowls being taken away from us. It is a home that dwells with us in the midst of wilderness, in the midst of brokenness, and every aching place that we feel. It is a home that is reconciliation, where there are broken relationships. It is a communion with a God who grieves with us when we experience loss and promises to fulfill us with everything that we truly need. Because God is so wholeheartedly chased after us with his love. Since before we knew him, he has been on fire for us and has sought us with his whole heart. And now he is saying, I am a home you can find if you look to me with all your heart. See, we're not called to live in a house divided, real hope. We're not called to try and add other accoutrements onto our God in order to make it more complete. Israel tried to do that. Israel had God who had promised and provided their home for them. And when they tried to look beside him or around him, looking past him, they lost their home because they lost sight of the one who had been home for them all along the way. God even says, I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God's saying, I didn't throw you away. I didn't cast you off. Scripture is full of this promise. He says, I will not cast you off forever, but I will remember my compassion that I had from the start. You are being carried from me even when you feel like you are being sent off from home. You are still with the one who has been home all along, and he has promised that no one can snatch you out of his hands. You see, the conditions of this world are bound to change, but we have one who is constant, who is never leaving us, who is never failing us, and nothing in this world can affect him. We don't need to try and reclaim the things of our past or the promises of this world in order to satisfy the homesickness we feel in our heart because it is satisfied completely and only through Jesus Christ our God. Where other things may have left us empty and displaced, God meets us in our homesickness and reminds us of his promises that he remembers and his provision that he will supply in ways that we don't even realize yet. That he will restore us and redeem us no matter how far we feel that we've gone adrift from him and from home.
And so if you're feeling this homesickness today, if you're feeling hungry for the kind of home that God is promising and providing, his challenge to you today is to turn to him. Turn to him with no other conditions, no other agenda and saying, God, I'm broken, I'm missing something, but I hear that you can make me whole. You can fulfill my every need and you can help me to feel at home again no matter what has happened in my life. If we seek him with our whole heart and trust that he will restore us and redeem us, we will feel a home and a wholeness like we have never felt before. And maybe you're, you're, you're hearing this message and you're, maybe you're not feeling like you're in the position of Israel right now. Maybe you're saying, I, I feel very at home and I feel secure in God right now. And God has me exactly where I need to be in order to be whole in him. Maybe your position in the story is not Israel's position. Maybe you're in the role of Cyrus in that God is moving your heart and wants to stir you up to be a welcome home to somebody else, to be a reminder of God's promises to someone else, to be a way to provide and meet needs in the world around you where people are not expecting God to show up. Maybe God is wanting to move you in a way to restore things that were broken, to heal broken relationships, to be a comfort and a companion for people who are lonely and lost. Because I guarantee you, as soon as we, we are in this building today and there's someone sitting in here who's feeling that way. And when we go out of these four walls, we're going to encounter people who are feeling that way, lost in this world and without the home that we know through Jesus our God. And he's saying, I'm moving in you, church. I'm moving in you, my people, because I'm not contained in a Bible or in a building. I live inside my people. I've given you my spirit. And so home is something that you carry with you all throughout the world. And you can bring that home to someone else. Jesus is preparing a place for each and every one of us. And there is always more room in the house of God. There is always more room for someone to come home, no matter how far they've been, no matter what you and I may think of them. God has loved them with an everlasting love. And he wants us to be an extension of that mercy and a tool to fulfill his promises today. Because no one on this world, not you, not me, we are never lost from him. God has said, you will seek me and you will find me because you are already found by me. So if we would offer up our hearts to him, broken and homesick as they may be. We can allow him to rebuild and restore home within us through his great love, through him who has made a way. Today and always until we get to dwell in the house of God forever.